Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at St. Mark, and I'm joined by our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer, Sr. And we've been walking through a series called It's Not Just Black and White. And we're at the culmination of not just our series, but also our season here mm-hmm. on the podcast. So this is the last podcast of this season, but we'll be back next season with some new hotness for you. Yes, sir. This time around, we're going to talk about organized religion in an episode that we're calling I'm Tired of This Church. Tired of this church. <laughs> now, if you don't know that reference, it's a meme of a little boy who showed up at a church. His grandma came and made him sing, and he just started kicking his legs. He said, I'm tired of this church. And a lot of people feel that way about organized religion. They say, well, I have a personal relationship with God. Why do I need organized religion? Well, hopefully we challenge some of those presuppositions because our uh, baseline thesis is that, well, God has always been organized. His church has always been organized. Now, there's some positive um, work out, work, things working out there and then some negative things that people have done as organized religion. And we're going to unpack that just a little bit. But you can't just take this idea that organized religion is a bad thing and put it on God himself. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and here's here's the I'm going to give the punchline at the beginning of the episode. Organized religion mm-hmm. as a term, a, a pejorative term is is a misnomer for true authentic christian fellowship and relationship Mm -hmm. and we're going to look through historically and biblically a whole lot of things but but what we really want to get to is there have been expressions of the community of god called the church in the past that have not been what jesus intended yeah but that doesn't mean that we don't gather together as Jesus intended. That's good. <laughs> so that I just want to get I want to give you that right away. That's that's let's begin with that. That we are not going to gloss over or lie about the ugly history of people who have claimed to represent Jesus Christ. We're not going to lie about that. Not going to gloss it over. Mm-hmm. Not going to pretend like it didn't happen. We're going to own it. We're going to confess it. We're going to speak about it and speak to it. And we also are going to lift up the truths of scripture and the reality that community has always been God's intent for humanity in worship. Yeah. And this isn't really unique to the Christian experience. Like other religions also organize around their religious practices. We saw that show up super early in the ancient near East where most of the cultures were actually polytheistic. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, folks are like, well, polytheism, they really didn't have any organization. no, They actually had organized systems of priesthoods, worship practices, and other things that showed that they were organizing around this religious uh, observation that they had as polytheists. And and for those who don't know, polytheism just means they believed in more than one God. As the ancient person 
persons looked at the world around them and they observed the heavens and the way grass grows and, and earthquakes and things of that nature, um, as people drifted further and further away from the lessons taught to them by Papa Adam, mm. um, they began to say one God certainly couldn't handle all of this. Mm. <laughs> and so polytheism was a, was a minimizing of the omnipot- omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence of God. Mm-hmm. Even God's omnibenevolence, the fact that God is good all the time. And so they, they began to create these systems to try to really manipulate um, life. <laughs> uh, and and they, they developed systems for that. Mm-hmm. They, they developed systems for that. And, I mean, you're talking about genius cultures, Sumerians, Babylonians, people who, um, who, who built great structures, who moved the world forward scientifically and mathematically they weren't they weren't dumb <laughs> right. they weren't dumb folk you're not talking about some some ignorant um savage scratching his head you're talking about very advanced thinking forward thinking cultures so organization was inherent mm-hmm. to their expression of religion whether righteous or unrighteous whether holy or idolatrous yeah Here's the thing I really am trying to understand when people say they don't believe in organized religion, because for you to say you don't believe in organized religion and then in some instances turn around and believe in astrology, you're believing in organized religion. That's an organized religion. <laughs> astrology is an organized religion. Yeah. So we saw it show up. We talked about this on our episode in astrology. Babylonian religions would identify gods with celestial bodies and assign those gods seats in heaven based on astrology. So they organized around celestial bodies. So when you're pulling out your horoscope and you're telling me you don't believe in organized religion, well, I got to figure out Astrology is an organized religion. Well, well see, John, n- no, because I was born August 14th, but I want to call myself a Taurus. Oh, now, you're not going to let me do that. <laughs> you're not going to let me do that. You're going to say, no, you're a Leo. You have to be a Leo. Well, that's organized mm-hmm. religion. Yeah. That, that if, if there is order, <laughs> it is organized. And if there are boundaries and if there are rules and if there are rituals and practices, then you have organized religion. What you really mean is that you do not want to be a part of the Christian church as you have experienced it in the past or heard about it that's it in the past but, that that's where we're trying to get to because it's not really an issue whether you worship it's who or what you worship who or what you worship because we were created to worship so it's not whether or not you're going to choose to do it it's what and who you choose to worship absolutely so let's talk about and we're going to do a crash course here on church history church history if you want a church history 101 course we're going to do it right now yeah this is a whole (laughs) semester of church history in 15 minutes here we go so let's talk about the early church because i think there's a misnomer involved here because when most people think about the catholic church right they think about the organization today that's led by a pope but what if we told you that the early church considered itself the Catholic Church. The term Catholic just means universal. It means all-encompassing. It was the idea of all believers in all locations throughout all time. That's what what they meant when they said the Catholic Church. So um, Peter and Paul and and James, those, those early Christian writers, 
had their concept of the church was that it was the Catholic church, the universal church. It had local expressions mm-hmm. right to the Philippians, right to the Ephesians, right to the Romans. But but the reason these letters circulated yeah. and went around to everyone and everyone read them and studied them and, and, and shaped their faith and lives based on them is because they all applied to all because Jesus has, as it were in their minds, one church. Catholic, Catholic. means universal. No, yeah. There were no popes. No. There were no cathedrals. There were no confessions. Mm-hmm. There were no indulgences. Early on, the first century Christians, when they heard the word Catholic, it literally meant the church in the dispersion, mm-hmm. the universal church. That began to disperse in Acts chapter 8. The church comes out, it's coming out party is in Acts chapter 2. It begins to disperse in Acts chapter 8. So as they go to these varying places, they do not disconnect from one another. Mm-hmm. They say we're still only one church. Yeah. And they began, as they began to disperse, they began to think through issues of theology mm-hmm. uh, in that, which means how do we think about God and how do we think about uh, folks around us? So what we saw was that the early church began to organize around schisms or um, splits that were caused by what someone thought about God, Jesus, or church practices. Mm-hmm. And we saw that early on in the church through men who were called apologists. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean that they're sorry for something. It, I'm not sorry. That's not it. <laughs> apologist is actually, it means someone who defends the faith. It's actually from scripture. Uh, it comes from the word apologio, which means to defend, to defend the faith. So these mm-hmm men were called to defend the faith from folks who were trying to say things about Jesus and scripture that were out of line with the word of God. And, and John, we, you know, we turn to the Bible later after the history part, but that, that idea is in the book of Jude. Yep. That, that's that book right before Revelation um, where Jude says some people have crept in unaware mm-hmm. and that you're called to defend the faith. Yeah. And so this is what, this is what happens, that, that, that idea that of Catholic were all in this together and then there were people who came in and said mm, I don't like this part I, I think we, we should think about it this way and and there are several theological doctrinal matters that are addressed in the Bible um, and then that are addressed after the time of the Apostles yeah and we're not gonna hit all of them but no, we're gonna show yeah. you some major controversies here that actually stick around today mm-hmm. in some uh, expressions of yes. a practice that may not be Christian practice. Yeah. So I want to start with this young man by the name of Marcion. Yeah. Uh, he was wrestling with this idea and many, I think many people do wrestle with Still this idea. Still today, yes. That the God of the Old Testament really doesn't pair with the Jesus of the New Testament. Right. That that God seems angry, that God seems to lash out, and that Jesus is meek, humble. He has this total different ethic from that God. So Marcion argued that Jesus was not divine and was different from God, and he rejected the entire Old Testament Right. as a believer. He said, I am a New Testament believer in Christ. I don't know anything about this Old Testament angry God. Yeah, and, and Marcion also um, rejected some of the gospel. So he's about a century after the life um, and, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He also rejected some of the gospels. I, mm. I think it's Marcion who, 
who only uses Luke, so to speak. He doesn't even use the whole New Testament. Um, and his idea is that such a angry, vengeful God could not manifest himself in Jesus Christ and that Jesus was just a really, really good guy. <laughs> that's, yeah. really, that's really where he lands on it. And so the church has to respond to those things. Many of the theological truths and claims that we have were sharpened and strengthened as people began to write and respond and preach to address these kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. So Jesus as a divine um, figure or Jesus as the God is is a major thing. We want to see it come forward in a minute because I want to get to mm -hmm. I want to get to to the fourth century real real bad. So we're in the we're in the second century right now with Marcion and Marcion. Um, he some folk followed and listened, um, but the church again argued the truth of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that wasn't the last time they fought about it. Yeah, and we have to know that around this time letters are circulating. Mm -hmm. But the canon or the measure of Scripture isn't quite figured out just yet. Yeah. So, so the 27 of our New Testament um, are not all coalesced as the New, New Testament, Testament at that at this time. The letters are out. Everyone has read them. They know them. They consider them Scripture, but they're they're not coalesced into one. You wouldn't find them bound in one book as we have them yeah. now. And there are other letters that were out there as well. I'm thinking about Clement. Yeah, Clement um, and, 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 and Polycarp and there are others who write um, epistles, so to speak, um, but they are not inspired epistles, but people were looking at them to help shape their thinking about God, thinking about Christ, how they lived with one another and their lives of worship. Yeah, and, and so that's when many people who were apologists around Marcion's controversy start to uh, defend the nature of God in the Old Testament, showing where he is gracious to the people of God. We talked about this in the last episode, that before he gives the law, you see the beacon of God's grace mm -hmm. shining there. So they begin to formulate theology around that. Uh, we see the monetists show up in 156. Now, these folks are folks who are interested in these aesthetic prophecies, mm -hmm. and they have a high focus on the supernatural. Uh, outside of, you know, other experiences with God, they say prophecies and these ecstatic supernatural experiences are the true uh, relationship with God in the monotheist community. And 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 some of y'all are monotheists <laughs> and don't know it. Yeah. You, you know, every every time you come to church something spooky has to happen or else God didn't move. Mm -hmm. Um that's that's where they were. That that they were just chasing prophetic words and looking for mm -hmm. someone to speak into the same thing some of some of 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 you all do as well. So mm -hmm. um again, what what we're going to see John as we come forward in this is that Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Many of the arguments that people make um, against, again, organized religion started in the first and second century. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to see. So with the monetists, you, you saw this with Paul when he's mm -hmm. writing to the church at Corinth. Yeah. These folks are focusing on the supernatural on expression gifts, yeah. of the gifts as opposed to the giver of the gifts and doing it out of expression of love. Yeah. That's what that love chapter is about, right? So... This isn't anything that's new. People continue to focus on the supernatural over and above community. And the apologists had to defend the faith from folks like this. And then you have the Donatist. Um, it's a lot of groups, a tist. So mm -hmm. you got monotists, you got the Donatists who oppose 
uh, Augustine for refusing sacraments for those who were traitors. Now, let's talk about this traitors concept, because around this time, 300 A.D. is when persecution really begins to pick up. Mm -hmm. And Christians have to make a choice because the empire is now saying, if you don't say that Caesar is king, and we talked about this in an episode before. Yeah then you're going to be subject not to just persecution, but also deaths. And and not, and listen to, I mean, death burned at the stake. Yeah. Um, if they were being merciful, they cut your head off. They would tie your limbs to wild horses and run them in different directions and literally pull you apart. They would boil you in oil. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were all kinds of horrific, torturous, um, slow deaths. And and so some of some folk said, "All right, I'm, they 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 refute they refute uh, refuted their own Christian testimony. They went back on the on the faith and said, nope, okay, Jesus might be a good guy, but he's not Lord. Caesar is Lord.' And those people then were considered in the Christian community traitors. And so the question then is, when they come back to church after they've denounced Jesus, mm-hmm. do we give them communion or not? Yeah." And, and the Donatists were of the opinion where you weren't strong in your faith. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to give y'all communion. Yeah, y'all, you, you don't get to get communion. You're out. You're done. Mm-hmm. We kicked you out the club. That's, that was Donatist. Um, that was the Donatist expression. And Augustine said, no, come on back in. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the body of the Lord. Here's the blood of the Lord. Yeah. And, and, and get redeemed, revived, and restored. Yeah. So here's probably the biggest controversy of the earliest church. Um, It pops up in around 325, Mm -hmm. but we have to first tell folks that in 313 A.D., the empire, the Roman Empire, officially adopts the Christian religion with Constantine. This is important. So in 313, the Edict of Milan comes out, and he officially adopts the Christian religion. And, and Constantine's conversion, he, first of all, his mother was the one who was converted uh, first. She actually converted even when it was not the religion of the empire. Constantine says, there was, I can't remember the exact battle, um, the name of it, but he has a dream where he sees the cross and he hears, under this sign you shall conquer. And so he sees the cross, he recognizes it as the symbol of Christianity, and so he converts that day purportedly um, because of that dream. Now, some people question the the truthfulness of Constantine's conversion, whether he was really Christian or whether he was trying to use Christianity um, as a as a as a political tool. But whatever the case is, at that time, Christianity becomes the official religion mm. of of the Roman Empire. Yeah, and and that's what we see at three thirteen, and then three twenty five. A controversy comes up with a man by the name of Arian. Uh, the Arian controversy, where Arian argues that Jesus himself was not co-eternal or co-substantial, which means not of the same substance of God or the same eternal nature of God. And he says that Jesus was a created being. Now, this is the progenitor of Jehovah's Witnesses today. Yeah. They yep. are an Aryan people group who, I'm not saying Aryan as in Jewish, but mm-hmm. Aryan in, ter- in terms of Aryan, the person of 325. So here's what happens in 325. Constantine hears the bickering. Yep. 
And he says, y'all go figure it out. Now, some people think that he called this thing and he presided over this thing. He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. He wasn't at the council. <laughs> this is the Council of Nicaea. Mm -hmm. They come in. They begin to debate the nature of Jesus Christ. Constantine did not invent Christianity. Did not. Christianity was around. We have the writings <laughs> of people, not just the apostles, but the students of the apostles. We have 300 years, 250 or so years of writings, of Christian writings. We talked about it in another podcast. There are sets of books that we have called the anti or before Nicene mm -hmm. church fathers writings. And then the post Nicene. Constantine didn't invent Christianity. He wasn't even at Nicaea. <laughs> he wasn't there. He wasn't even there. But you know who was there? St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. Santa Claus. Santa Claus was there. Santa Claus was there. And Santa Claus got so upset with my man Arian. Legend has it that when he saw him in the meeting, he slapped him. Pop. <laughs> That's a Santa Claus I like. That's my kind of Santa. That's my kind of Santa Claus. <laughs> he was like, "You're not gonna talk about my Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not gonna take my Jesus from." Me. But but the but the real um, leader of establishing or not establishing, but but holding fast to the truth that Christ is God, co-equal, co-eternal. Uh, was Athanasius. Uh, they called him the Black Dwarf, um, and he was support, purportedly a short, fiery black man. Ma black man. Now, here's the thing, John. White man's religion and white people invented Christianity and all, all of that stuff. Well, listen, Arian was black, and Athanasius was black. This is black people arguing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> about this both of them talking theology talking theology so there were white people did not have that influence on this particular issue mm. um who jesus is so christianity had already been around jesus died rose people been writing about him since 44 a.d mm -hmm. yeah and and th before 325 yeah and uh, the outcome of that was the nicene creed the mm -hmm. one that many of you all have in on your church websites, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and and those who grew up in Methodist traditions, I know AMEs generally, they would recite the Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. um, perhaps with the Lord's Supper. So some of you probably haven't memorized. Yeah, that creed affirms the divinity of Jesus and mm -hmm. him being co-eternal and co-sustantial with God. So uh, the folks sided with Athanasius and Arian was ultimately uh, ostracized from the church itself. Now, let's talk about uh, the schism of 1054, mm -hmm. which is important because this is where we see the church itself divide between the West and the East. Yeah. So the, the Western church wanted the Pope and the authority of the church to be in Rome. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they wanted to be on the home field, right? Mm -hmm. The Eastern Orthodox Church was like, well, we're over here. We want the Pope over here. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't come to any type of compromise so the church actually split between the western church and the eastern church and this is where we got the catholic church and the eastern orthodox church and and that eastern orthodox church has ex expression in a few um um iterations so you have the coptic church um you have um um, the Russian Orthodox Church. Yep. These are these are church. If you look at their practices, if you look at their um, the, the way they do communion, much of their theology, those kinds of things are just like Catholicism, the Catholicism that we know today. But they split over 
who gets to house the Pope. This, this is going to be a, a theme. Yes. <laughs> Throughout this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a split. They, they split because. You're going to hear that several times. They split because. They split because. They split because. So let's fast forward a little bit to the Reformation, which some people may be uh, familiar with. They probably have heard the name Martin Luther, not mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, Martin Luther, who in the 1500s basically said, I'm tired of this church mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to the Catholic church. Yes. He said, you guys are trying to sell people salvation. These popes. They would sell these indulgences to yes. people, and uh, Martin Luther was fed up with it and decided that he was going to post something on a door somewhere. And and <laughs> and here's the thing: he put it on. He put it on his. Um, he he. That was the social media of the day. So, <laughs> no, but seriously. So so here's what what Catholicism became: um, is it became corrupt and a money making scheme. The Catholic Church was getting wealthy, particularly Pope bishops, um, those who had seats of authority, cardinals. They were getting rich. Off of telling poor people, oh, you sinned. Well, you got to first come to me to get forgiven. And this is where confession comes from. And you got to do what I say to be forgiven. Mm. And some of it was almsgiving or indulgences. And literally indulgence was you paid so you can indulge. It Mm. was paying money for your sin. This is also why the Catholic Church includes um, books that were between the testaments called the Apocrypha. Oh, the lost books of the Bible. They're not lost. Catholic Church has been using them for a long time. And the reason is because they speak of this place between heaven and hell called purgatory. Mm -hmm. Why do we need purgatory? Well, John is my friend and I love him and and he passes (laughs) away. That's my guy. This, This is my brother. Help me out. But I don't know if he was good enough to go to heaven. He he was all right. But he wasn't. He certainly wasn't a saint. So he's in purgatory. He's not in heaven. He's not in hell. Mm-hmm. Well, how am I going to get him out of purgatory into heaven? I can pay his way. Pay me. Pay, pay my way into heaven. I can heaven. pay his way into heaven. Mm-hmm. They didn't sing Jesus paid it all. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the saying was when the coin in the coffer rings or the bowl rings, the soul from hell springs. Yeah. So they were saying once I put that coin in there, you good, which yep. means... You can live any kind of way you want any to. Any kind of way. Any <laughs> kind of way. Hey, I'm going to set aside this money when I die. Mm. Go and take that down to the church mm. so I can go to heaven. Yeah. And I can just do anything. So that that's Martin Luther. He did not want to break from the church, yeah. from the Catholic church. Yeah. He wanted to reform, reformation. He wanted the Catholic church to come back to the Bible. Because at that time, they're using not the scripture as their, as their, as their most significant source of authority. Mm-hmm. The pope was considered infallible, could not make a mistake as it relates to doctrine. Yeah. And then they had several councils after Nicaea. There were several councils where they made these decisions about religious life, church life, people's lives. And this is why, for instance, priests couldn't get married. And this is why there are several expressions of things like that. And and Martin Luther says, man, this this ain't nowhere in the scripture. So let's come back to the scripture. That is what he nailed those 95 theses to the door to do. He wanted the, the Catholic church, hmm. the one universal church, although it's split now between East and West, he wanted the Western church to come back to the Bible. And he was considered a heretic hmm. or labeled a heretic for just wanting people to teach and live the Bible. Yeah. And we really didn't even mention John Wycliffe, who mm-hmm. actually 
paved the way for that because with his printing press, yes, we talked about this last episode being that the Bible was translated into Latin and only the popes mm-hmm. were able to read it. Uh, Wycliffe actually translated it into English and it got him ultimately killed. Yes. But it paved the way for Martin Luther to give scripture to the common folks mm-hmm. to say you don't need these popes to be able to read and translate scripture for you. And and, and, and so Martin Luther is important for for the entire anybody who we, this is where we get pro- Protestant. We're Protestant. Mm-hmm. We're Protestant, protesting um, the practices and theology of the Catholic Church. Yeah. His most important, well, not his most, but maybe his most important um, um, idea was to reclaim the priesthood of all believers. That's good. The, the idea that you don't have to go through a special class of person to get to God, that Jesus' blood allows you to go to God individually, personally for yourself. So I love you. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. But I'll have some magical connection that you don't have. To God, that's what the Catholic Church was um, promoting and and saying, and that's what Martin Luther was protesting against. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, persecution. We got to talk about Bloody Mary. We're oh, not man. talking about the drink. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so uh, Mary was the Queen of England at the time, and she in 1553 attempted to reverse the Reformation that mm-hmm. Martin Luther was doing. So she actually had close to 300 people burned at the stake. It was a high time of persecution for the people. Thankfully, she only lasted five years. Mm-hmm. So she was, uh, she died in 1558, which at that time, Elizabeth, who I believe is her niece, uh, took over and she proposed kind of a middle ground. Yeah, And this is uh, actually promulgated by her father, Henry VIII, who wanted to get a divorce. He wanted to get a divorce, and, and in Catholicism, you cannot yeah. divorce unless you get special permission from the Pope. Yeah. So he appealed to the Pope to divorce his wife, and the Pope said no, and he said, fine, I'm going to start my own I church. Start my own church. I'm tired <laughs> I'm of this tired church. I'm tired of this church. They split because, <laughs> so this is another, this is, a, this is a third major split. So east and west is a split. Um, you have the Reformation split, and now you have a split within the Catholic Church again, mm. and this is the origin of the Anglican Church, what we call over in the U.S. the Episcopal Church. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Hopefully this is providing y'all some historical context so you know where all the denominations and churches come from. Most of them are splits. Splits, yes. So let's talk a little bit about Roger Williams before we turn to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Williams showed up in the colonies 1636 and founded Providence, which is an important name because Providence, they thinking that this is God ordained. They're God's chosen people as Puritans um, in Rhode Island. And he came up with this idea that I want you to unpack a little bit because people don't quite understand what this concept is. So Roger Williams, he was actually a Baptist Um, and he comes over and he coins this term separation of church and state. Now, now, the the way we live that out today is nowhere near what he intended. He did not intend for the church to have no say in the state. Mm-hmm. He intended that the state cannot mandate a certain church. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, the the church of the, the king, Catholic, in England, Anglican, you had to be Anglican. You had to be Catholic. Uh, or else you were ostracized and 
pushed away. You know, the myth is that the pilgrims came for uh, religious liberty. They didn't come for religious liberty. They came to practice their own religion That's it. <laughs> uh, in, in, in freedom. They did not come so that everybody could practice theirs. Well, Roger Williams says, whatever we set up over here, let's not let the politician determine mm -hmm. our faith expression. That's the separation of church and state. The term has now been co-opted and manipulated and such that people say, you know, oh, the church shouldn't be commenting on certain issues. Church shouldn't be in, talking about social justice stuff. Church shouldn't be mm -hmm. saying black lives matter, those kinds of things. But that's not what he meant at all. Mm -hmm. He meant that the state or the government cannot mandate you to be a part of a certain church. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we should touch briefly on the state of the church in the West and the organized religion in the West and the U.S. Because as we saw that many of these splits were based on theology mm -hmm. in the early church. When you get to the West, many of the church splits in the West were based on either race mm -hmm. or just somebody having an issue with somebody. Yeah. And when we look at all of the black denominations. Yes. All of them sprang forth because somebody in a white denomination was racist. Listen, the, the, the idea that the black church was the idea of black people is totally a historical. Mm -hmm. It is not correct in any way. The reason there is a such thing as the black church in America is because the white church decided they did not want to fully recognize the humanity of black people. And black folks said, nah, Jack, we, we, we launch it on our own. That's the origin of the AME church, thus AME Zion. That's the um, origin of, of, the, of the expression of Baptist churches that we have that begins National Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. I'll give you another interesting historical note. Um, so Azusa Street was this movement that that brought people back to the gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues and healing and those kinds of things. It happened in Los Angeles um, in the early 1900s, uh, led by uh, William Seymour, who was a black man. Yep. He was a black spiritual man. He was actually a Baptist boy. <laughs> and then this, this thing happened, and it was a uh, multiracial mm -hmm. experience. It, it was this revival that just lasted on and on and on and on. People were getting saved, and, and, and the gifts of the spirit um, were, were being... Uh, experienced in ways that had not been done so in in the West for some time. So um, um, uh, William Seymour, it's black, it's white. Everybody's clear though. He's the leader. Yep. Yep. William Seymour is the leader, and um, out of this, it, he did not intend to start denominations, but out of this, denominations start. So Pentecostalism comes out of this. Holiness movements come out of this, and then the Church of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. And the assemblies of God. Now, here's here's the thing. Yep. Church of God in Christ, black, assemblies of God, white. John, the reason there's a such thing as the assemblies of God is because people, white people, said, you are not going to lead us organizationally. Right. Yeah. We can experience your anointing. We like, we like all the doodads, we feel. But you ain't fit to lead us organizationally. <laughs> yeah. And so... The late G.E. Patterson says he was talking to an uh, Assemblies of God colleague uh, who said, yeah, we're part of your sister church. He said, no, 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 you're part of our daughter church. Mm, that's right. They split because they w didn't want the black bishop to be telling them what to do. 
Exactly right. And that's why those that's why you have those denominations. They are they are there's a black version and a white version for that exact reason. That's the reason why Charles Parham, who was a friend of William Seymour, showed up to Los Angeles, a white guy, and said to him, you don't need to be leading these people because you're black. Mm -hmm. He made him sit outside of his classroom as he taught theology when he was in Houston and sent him to Los Angeles. But once he started to succeed and became the leader of the movement, Mm -hmm. he became racist Charles Parham again. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's been an issue. And we've seen denominations spring forth from that. You mentioned Kojic. You mentioned AG, Church of God, Anderson, some other expressions of that. All that flows from William Seymour's leadership as a black man. Absolutely. All right. We're going to get to scripture here because I think we got to talk about the Bible. We can talk about history all day. And, and mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to make sure that we uh, wrap this in scripture. I want to start with. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at bad instances of organized religion as we have through history Mm -hmm. and then where it works in scripture as well. And I want to start in Genesis chapter 11. And I want to be clear that here's here's the punchline. The issue isn't organized religion as a whole. The issue is the expression of the community as Jesus intended it. Are we doing it his way? Mm Or are we doing some perversion of that? That's why people don't want to be a part of organized religion in the Christian context. It's really because there has been some perversion of what Jesus left. He did not, we're going to get to it in scripture, he did not ever call us to live out our faiths individually. Did not. You you can be a Christian alone, but you can't be a good Christian alone. So that let's 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 work it out. Yeah, let's take a look at uh, Genesis 11, and this is the Tower of Babel. We we talked about Noah and his descendants in chapter nine and, and ten, and the covenant that God made with Noah. And uh, chapter eleven points out a a piece of unity, mm-hmm. but for the wrong purposes here right. at the Tower of Babel. Yeah, it says now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, let's come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is, the, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be now impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, you read this and you say, well, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're unified. They're coming together. Mm -hmm. And God sees a problem with it and says, hey, we're going to go down and disperse them. But it goes back to a promise that God and a command that God gives to the people. So Genesis chapter one is. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. Babel is a project. What we what is named Babel now is a project 
to not do that. Yeah, that's good. We, we, we don't want to honor God, and we don't want to be scattered. Mm-hmm. We, want to, we want to all be together in the same place. I'm, I'm of the belief that this is under the leadership of Nimrod, who you read about uh, in Genesis chapter 10. Um, he's the first, like, great warrior king, um, and as such, having perhaps conquered or, and coalesced um, several individual spaces and tribes, this, is, this sounds like a Nimrod project. Mm-hmm. The, the term Babel is actually onomatopoeia in the, in the Hebrew. It's really, it sounds like, it's like, it's, it's, it's right. gibberish is what it is. And John, here's the thing. God says they are so united, nothing mm-hmm. will be impossible to them. Yeah. Now, that doesn't change when it turns to a positive and God-honoring project mm-hmm. in the same way. That unity would have facilitated their building this tower in a way that would have caused them to all always be in this space. If we are unified positively, mm. we have that same power. Mm. One more thing, and I'm through. Well, two more things on, on this one, and I'm through. The first one is that Acts chapter 2, which we're going to look at, yeah. um, is, is the reversing of this. Mm. Furthermore... Listen carefully. The problem was not that they had different languages, John. The problem was nobody took the time to learn anyone else's language. Yeah. They didn't want organized religion. Mm. That's good. Everyone spoke their own language. Therefore, they divided and scattered. Yeah. And in addition to that, their language around what what the task was for, Mm -hmm. make our name great, Mm -hmm. it was totally contrary to what the people of God were meant to do was to make God's name great. As a matter of fact, the text says that God comes down. Like generally when you see these texts in ancient Near East, there's a stairs for the gods that they walk down. Mm -hmm. That God hastens himself and actually goes down to confuse their language because he understands that this is vainglorious, Mm -hmm. this is self-interested on their parts, and it totally uh, disobeys a di- disobeys a direct can- command from God Himself. So we see this as an instance of unity, mm-hmm. but unity for the purpose of self interest. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at uh, the story of Moses in Exodus eighteen. I think this is an important text to look at. Organized, where we see um, Moses. Uh, making judgments among the people and father-in-law shows up to help him out a little bit. Now you have to keep in mind that at the time of their deliverance, we learned that there are 600,000 men in Israel, not including women and children. And as we lead, read this text, I want you to hear what's happening among the people and what Moses is doing and why his father is so concerned about him his father-in-law. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses. This is verse 13 in chapter 18. From morning till evening, from morning till evening, all day long, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. 
you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my, my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk, what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law mm -hmm. and did all that he said. Now, this is very important, especially in our context, um, because there's this myth or legend that... I always have to be able to talk to the pastor to get answers to my questions. The pastor. Yes. Not a pastor. The senior the, pastor. The pastor. And what we see here in this text is people coming to Moses all day long with their problems. And Moses is not self-aware enough for him to say, I can't handle this. As a matter of fact, he tells his father-in-law, well, they coming. Yeah. They yeah. need answers. Yeah. I'm going to burn myself out for the sake of these people. And his father-in-law said, you crazy. <laughs> that, that's a great translation. <laughs> Man, please. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing that I think I want to make a connection here because God here is using Jethro to better organize the people of God here in the Old Testament. And as the New Testament church, this is definitely instructive for us as well. Yes. And I'm thinking about Ephesians 4, mm -hmm. where God gives gifts, he says, to some apostles, to some prophets, to some teachers, to do what? To equip the saints. To equip the saints for the work of for ministry. For the work of ministry. John, the, the thing I want to really nail down is organization. Mm -hmm. Organize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens that's what he says put people over these categories of responsibility that's organization mm -hmm. this is organized religion has always been a part of human history and has always been a part of the bible's expression mm -hmm. yeah of faith before god you you we cannot individually take care of our own spiritual needs that's good. We can't do it. Now, we have an individual responsibility, certainly, but God did not design any of us to handle any all of our spiritual needs um, in isolation and individually. In fact, you know, the thing with the Moses, um, Moses being getting burned out, people standing there night and day, you know, I could go all the way to my <laughs> personal, you know, as the pastor, I can, I can get on my soapbox and say, hey, man, you know, I love you. But, you know, we got other pastors here, and I, we have to tell people that sometimes yeah. at St. Mark. Yeah. But, but, but more than just that, more than just the senior leader of a church context, mm -hmm. in your life, you can be Moses in trying to do all the things you have to do by yourself. The bigger issue 
at hand in this text for all of us is just learning to ask for help among those that God has given you to do life with. And to develop other people. You do not have to be the only person that knows how to do something yeah. to do this. Yeah. Which is why he's, he, he, he gives these smaller groups of men tasks to do that are within their realm of giftedness. Yes. Ultimately, he says, I want you to judge these weightier matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that folks around you can do. This is a leadership development issue. It really is. And, and, and Jethro's first thing is, first find these people, put them over. And here's what he said. You teach the law because they will be able to judge if you teach the law. Mm. They can handle it if you teach the law. And then when there's a big matter, let them come to you with that. You know, I can get on that all. We can go all day (laughs) on that piece right there. Just that alone. So we're going to turn to the to the New Testament. But I want you all to just think through Exodus 20 through 39, because Mm. as you read through those several chapters, that's all about God organizing the practice of worship mm-hmm. in uh, the book of Exodus. So we see organization happening there. But let's go to uh, Matthew 23. Then I think we'll hit the Acts text uh, after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew 23. And this is uh, the seven woes of Jesus that he actually says to Pharisees. And these Pharisees are a group of men who are the masters of the law. They've mastered the law. They are interpreters of the law. And in some instances, they have interpreted in a way that continues to harm the people in which they serve. It adds to them unnecessary ritualistic responsibility Mm. that they then use to say, you're not spiritual enough because you don't keep all of these rules and rituals that we have we have not gleaned from the law but that we have isogetically put mm. into the law mm. and jesus is so upset with them listen to what he says in verse number 13 forward but woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces mm. for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, which is a convert. Mm-hmm. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. <laughs> now, listen, <laughs> I, lo- I don't mean to interrupt the reading, John, but people want to have this docile right. Jesus, this, you know, this kind of hippie looking, <laughs> you know, quietly spoken Jesus. Jesus would get with you. He said, you're going to hell just like he, they're going to hell just like you are. You, you, you find somebody, you convert them. And then you make them worse than you are. Yeah. And, and, and historically, the origin of the Pharisees during the intertestamental period between Old and New Testaments, they started off noble. Mm. And they became champions of the people because they, they, they were among the commoners and they were trying to bring people back to the law of God. But then they morphed into this, this oppressive, arrogant, and ignorant community. That pretended like they knew everything. Yeah. And he goes on to talk about those woes. He says, woe to you blind gods who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by the off. You see how crazy it sounds? Just ridiculous. Yeah. 
Don't swear by the temple. <laughs> I mean, you can swear by the temple, but not the gold of the temple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what I want to get at here in this text is, is what they have come up with is a set of rules that they are worshiping as opposed to the rule of the earth. So they're organizing around the rules mm-hmm. as opposed to the ruler, who yes. is God, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's organized, but again, it's that perverted organization. Uh, and John, uh, unfortunately, some people grew up in church contexts that have these similar characteristics, and it, it affects your sense of right and wrong to this day, your your mm-hmm. God conscience uh, even now. And in some cases, this is why those, those Pharisee-like rules are why some people say they don't want organized religion because they think all organized religion is this perversion and it is not when the rules matter more than the individual so the length of your skirt or you can't wear pants if you're a woman or or things like and i'm, I'm gonna make my seniors mad uh, oh he got a hat on in church he need to take that hat off <laughs> well let's get him saved first mm. let's get him saved yeah. first and then maybe talk wardrobe let's let's worry about his soul before we worry about wardrobe oh red lipstick and and stockings and all these you know all of these things that people um began to say were were measures of righteousness that were really rules made by humans trying to help god out in establishing Mm. how we distinguish between righteous and unrighteous persons and this is why we have this whole series john Mm. about drinking yeah. And gambling and secular music and, and smoking marijuana, all of these kinds of things became measures of righteousness that's good. that Jesus says that's not the issue at all. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and organized religion in many people's minds equals these silly humanly constructed rules of righteousness rather than a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ and the people of of God. Yeah. And since this is the last uh, episode or last study in this session, I know they're going to give us time to unpack this a little bit more. Yeah, we got to. We got to. We got to. We got got to. to. So Acts chapter Mm 2. I want to look at Acts chapter 2 because it brings Babel into context, Mm -hmm. right? So as we see, God disperses the people of Babel because of their self-interest across the earth. Uh, in Genesis, we see here in Acts chapter 2, something different happens mm-hmm. for God's people. I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through probably 13. Mm-hmm. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance john let me pause we got to teach tongues real quick yep whatever you believe about gift of tongues and and grace of tongues in first corinthians acts chapter 2 is known languages yeah that they had just not learned yeah as we will see <laughs> They were, these are languages. This is not the ecstatic speech that we normally see someone is speaking in tongues. That's not what this is. Mm. This is known languages, and that's critical to the interpretation of this passage. It is. Yeah. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at the at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak. Listen, in, in his, his own, own language. language, that's the key. Yeah. The miracle of Acts 2 is that God gave these people a monolithic group in terms of culture mm-hmm. and language and and mostly even even region where they were from yeah. the north in Galilee he gave that monolithic group the ability to diversely communicate mm-hmm. the gospel for the sake of everybody yeah. everyone yeah that's that's the miracle the miracle in the tongues <laughs> the miracle is that God facilitated a way for the gospel, for people to hear the gospel in their own language. In the, their own language. That's good. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans, they country? We mm-hmm. talked about this before. Yeah, Galileans mean country. <laughs> and how is it that we hear each of us in his own language, native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Phampilia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Basically, they're saying everybody, y'all. Everybody. Christians, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them, saying they're filled with new wine. What we're seeing here is a reversal of Babel. Mm Mm-hmm. We see Babel where there's a dispersal of the people of God. Mm-hmm. And here we see where they're coming together and they're on one accord and the spirit of God falls on them in, a, in an effort to uh, disperse the gospel among the people who are around who are Jews in Jerusalem and hear them in their own languages. So God removed God's own barrier to unity. That's good. God put a barrier to to humankind's unity by confusing languages. Mm. And then in Acts 2, because we have a resurrected Lord and the manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is now filling these believers, God removes that language barrier Mm. and provides a way for everyone to not have to come back to some original language, but to learn and hear and to to have the opportunity to respond positively Mm. to the gospel in his or her own language and, and this is how he begins to organize his church here in acts mm-hmm. because this same church is also going to be dispersed into the other parts of the earth uh, from all these language groups who are visiting here for the passover right they they go out into the earth based on this experience having heard the gospel yeah yeah it, it's it's as babel wants to with one language make everyone come together acts takes the several languages and makes the church disperse as God intended humanity to do, so God intended intended for his church to do. Yeah. I want y'all to write down Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. This is where they shared all things in common. There was an organization around the distribution. Um, And then I want to look at Acts chapter 6 with a particular distribution that happens among uh, these widows here in Acts chapter 6. Verses one through seven. Uh, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Now, that may sound like they're being a little bit lofty, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And Great name. Prochorus, <laughs> and Nicanor, and T- Timon, and Parmenas, sorry, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, let me just say this, because this is a this is a passage about social justice. Social justice. Hellenists were Greek speaking Jews. Yeah. And they had beef with the they weren't really speaking Hebrew at this time. They're speaking Aramaic. Mm -hmm. Um, Those who were Aramaic speaking Jews. Now, here's what happened. Remember Acts two. They all come together. Mm hmm. All hear the gospel, and then 3,000 people get saved. Mm-hmm. Now, people are sharing everything, everything that they have. Um, people are like Barnabas. He sells land and brings it and drops the money at the apostles' feet. Acts 2 at the end says um, people sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. But mm-hmm. when we get to chapter 6, mm-hmm. now there's this preferential treatment because they're in Jerusalem. And, and the Jerusalem Jews speaking Aramaic get preferential treatment over the Hellenistic Jews speaking Greek, the mm. widows. Mm. And so we got to figure out how can we be equitable. Uh-oh. Don't do that. In the social service. Ooh, John. Good. good this would man. be considered socialism. I don't have time for that, Dark now. But Listen, how can we be a, equitable? If there was a hashtag... It would say, Hellenist widows' lives matter. That's what it would be. That's what it would be. This is a justice issue. Hmm. And the apostles say, it's not right for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, this is not them being high-minded and arrogant and not being servants. Yeah. Not at all. They are, they are clear on their role mm-hmm. in the church. And so they say, let's organize around justice. And they knew the people who were best equipped to deal with the issue. Let's organize. Because if people, here's the thing I can't figure out, John. <laughs> All right, soapbox time. Y'all ready? I cannot figure out why you say you don't like organized religion, but then complain about what the church ain't doing. Mm. Help me. You got to help me with that. Don't understand it. Because... If, if the church should be meeting these needs, we got to organize to do it. Yeah. We have to organize to do it. Organized religion isn't the problem. It's the perversion of it. Right. It's Pharisees. It's not Acts 6. Acts mm-hmm. 6 is an example of it being done right as God intended. Here's the issue. There's inequity within the community of people who are believers. Mm-hmm. Here's how we're going to address it. We're going to get some people to organize. They say explicitly, men, we can appoint over this business. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some accounting happening here. There's some, there's some supply and demand um, economics happening here. There, there are all kinds of, 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 of uh, 
issues that are being addressed by organization. John, I'm going to be through when I say this because we've got to move on. But organizing does not eliminate the spirituality of a thing. That's right. Because they say, get men who are full of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Because the Holy Ghost can lead you in organization. It doesn't always have to be something spontaneous and ecstatic. Mm. Mm. The Holy Ghost can lead. Um, he can anoint the accountant in the same way he anoints the prophet. Yes, Talk sir. pointer. I'm yes, trying. Sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> that, that organizing is not evil. <laughs> and it's not unspiritual. That's all I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And he says wisdom, too. So mm -hmm. there is a sense that wisdom yes. comes from that feeling of the spirit. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's look at because we've talked about this before. They met in the, the early church, met in houses. They were, mm -hmm. you know, out in the, the country. They were in the city. So it would seem like they were disorganized in the sense that they didn't really have a building to meet in. But if we look at Acts chapter 15, we kind of see the penultimate. There's an organi organized council around issues mm -hmm. that we saw, in, even as we explored church history, talking about the Council of Nicaea. There was a council at Jerusalem that was meant to address this issue of the Gentiles that we've talked about every one of our episodes, really, talking yeah. about the Gentile inclusion, right? So here we have the council led by James, who is Jesus's brother, mm -hmm. who really didn't believe in him before. Not, not before resurrection, but after. <laughs> after resurrection. Something got a hold of old James. Right? Yeah. He became a believer and became a leader at the church at Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas are really going around doing good work among the Gentiles, and they come back to Jerusalem mm -hmm. so that their work could be affirmed by this council. Right. So Paul and Barnabas don't start at the church in Jerusalem. They started the church in Antioch, yeah. and they are sent out in Acts 13 by the church at Antioch, commissioned to go do mission work. They go out, they start preaching and establishing churches. That's, that's Paul's first missionary journey. Mm -hmm. Well, when they come back, they come back to Jerusalem because, John, the church is organized. Yeah. And because the church is organized, these churches that they have, these local churches that they have established, they want the leadership of the church, remember Catholic, mm. one church, they want the leadership of the church to officially recognize those churches. Yeah. That's what this is. Yeah. And we're going to run into an issue because those people aren't Jews and they're not circumcised and they don't keep the feast days. The early Christian Jews kept those things. Mm. These people are not doing that. What are we going to do? What are we going to tell them? Do they have to go back and keep the mosaic elements of the law or can can they just have Jesus and that's enough? That's good. So in the interest of time, I'll read the first couple of verses and then give them some context around James's response here mm -hmm. in the Jerusalem Council. So it says, but some men, this is chapter 15, verse one, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, mm -hmm. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. Now, they go up to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Paul addresses the council, which James is a part of. Uh, James here responds to him in verse number 19 and says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who 
turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And they ultimately send a letter to these Gentile believers recounting the council's decision, which is you don't need to be circumcised, but here are the things that are important to us for you as Gentiles. And we talked about this. It's, it's, it's organization that keeps the community together in unity. One of the, one of the wonderful things about this passage, John, and and we got to go because we're over time, but man, I love the fact that the apostle Peter, Mm -hmm. Becomes the star witness. That's good for the work that was happening among the Gentiles because of what God used him to do in Acts chapter ten in going to Cornelius's house. This this debate, this discussion, results in Christian liberty. Paul begins to write Galatians and other um, books to address this idea of Christian liberty. This was not black and white. <laughs> and so they had to they had to think through and hear um, the voice of God to trust the the Christ in them and the Spirit's leading to give an answer to what was proving to be a a challenging question. Mm. Um, and and in doing that, we see the benefits of organization. I'm gonna say one more thing about it, John. Here's what I'm gonna say: When Jesus says on this rock, I'm gonna build my church, the term church is called out ones, ecclesia. It was used for people called together as a representative body to make decisions for a city or a a town or something of that nature. Jesus says, I'm calling people together. Hmm. There is no way to follow Jesus without being together with other people. Hmm. That's, it's just that way. That's just what it is. To follow Jesus is to be together with other people and with all of the other things that we call church and think about when we think about church what church really is is just a community of people following Jesus together Mm, that's good and organization does not diminish that yeah that's good and what we've seen throughout this episode is that marriage of empire and Christianity has really always been a rocky one right whenever you put power <laughs> with the Christian faith, the outcomes aren't always good. Political power. So so yeah. I wrote in my journal years ago, Satan seems to have figured the church out, that when the church is popular, it's weak. That's true. When it's persecuted, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened in the American West, and this is what happened with evangelicals, and, and their, their fight for political power is, it's a, it's a, it's a perversion of true Christian faith because Christian faith is to be persecuted. Mm. Yeah. To be persecuted is to be is is a part of the Christian expression of life. So yeah. We, we are to influence and be salt and light in in these areas, but we are not to crave control. That's good. And power. So we're talking to some folks who may be experiencing chaos in every area of their lives. And I would argue, and I think we both would, is is that an organized church 
actually help serve people living in chaotic culture. Mm -hmm. That being organized really helps people to grow spiritually. Uh, We've seen that in our expression here at St. Mark. And that organized religion, when done properly, Mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what organized religion is when it's done right? It's just organized community. That's good. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Organized community benefits us all. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us on the last episode of season one. I'm sad. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to get in the lab and and work on some new topics for the next season yeah. i'm excited about it john oh next season is going to be fun we've already started talking about it and i know you all are going to enjoy it so make sure you continue to follow subscribe and like the podcast go over and join our facebook community the growth factor on facebook we look really look forward to connecting with you all next season but continue to replay some of these episodes from season one share it with others who may be interested but hopefully it was a blessing for you all and we'll see you all in season number two of the Growth Factor podcast. This has been the Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.